It's time for JT the Brick. How we doing? Baby, I'm great. JT, how are you doing? I'm not a journalist. I'm an opinionated sports talk host. We have a goal. We have ideas. We know exactly what we want to do here. Just win, baby. The Raiders' schedule is brutal. It's a second-place schedule that's front-loaded heavy and back-loaded heavy. The fans of the Raider Nation sound off like you got a pair. JT the Brick. I'm talking about the notorious ones, the out-of-control fans, the passionate fans. All of you fans are invited to be a part of the show. I'd like you to come in big and come in with a purpose. And that's it. Use the phone like a weapon. Enjoy everything we do. And please always feel welcome to call in and to tweet and to be a part of the show. Fair enough? And now, here's JT the Brick. Great to have you today as we're out of the gate on the flagship of the Raiders, Raider Nation Radio. On the Raiders mobile app, you can download it at Raiders.com or just go into your free app store and find out what everybody's doing all throughout the Raider Nation as we kick off this show today. Big show. Got a lot to get to today. Was in the building all morning today as we already hosted. It's about to be uncorked and released. Raiders Roundtable with Lincoln Kennedy, Q Myers, who comes on after me. And we had a spirited podcast, and that's going to be up in a little bit. And you can get our opinions on all of that. You can get them here on the show. You can get Q's show. And you know, Lincoln always speaks his mind. So we had a very spirited day today on the podcast. Uh, later on tonight, I'm hosting an event, a chalk talk with Jim Plunkett. So my day, I've won the day already. I'm going to spend part of my evening with Jim Plunkett, uh, one of the greatest of all time, arguably on the Mount Rushmore of Raiders for his accomplishments to the team. And we're going to bang out a couple of hours here and hopefully hear from you. 702-365-9200. Still a heavy phone call day with a couple of really good guests. Jason Horowitz, the voice of the Raiders, will join us in an hour. Top of the second hour, 105 Pacific time. And then coming up here in about six or seven minutes, Paul Gutierrez, who covers the Raiders for ESPN, who just spoke with the owner, Mark Davis. I often speak with my, uh, Mark Davis, the journalist in town today, all got quotes from Mark Davis, and we'll lead with that on the show. Ed Graney is the most successful sports writer in the history of Nevada, period. Ed Graney, he wrote the cover story, Unwavering Support. McDaniels has complete backing of Mark Davis despite the record. Well, I'll tell you, Ed's a great writer. He's a great radio host. He's a friend, and he's got strong opinions. He spoke to the owner as I just teed up Paul Gutierrez, and Mark Davis made national news by backing the owner of a losing team that's 2-7 and seven at this point. A lot of owners uh, support their coaches, especially the recent hires that they just had for obvious reasons. They're paying them a lot of money. They believe in the plan. They have constant communication with that said individual, and they believe that that's the right person for the hire. And that's where we are with Mark Davis, who I support here on the flagship of his team. He believes that he made the right decision with Dave Ziegler, Josh McDaniels, and they're going through a bumpy road as we speak. Now, everybody's picking apart every word from Rome wasn't built in a day to fantastic to great job and all that. And that's why we have sports radio. You really can't do that with a newspaper. You can't yell at the newspaper, right? You can't do that. You know, you can get on Twitter and do that. You know, I deal with the bots and the trolls. They're pretty good at that. Well, you know, when you have a conversation face-to-face, you know, 92.9% of Raider fans, if they bumped into Mark Davis and Josh McDaniels, they'd ask for an autograph or they'd talk to him and they wouldn't be like some of the people when they have a couple beverages and they're fueled up and they lose the game. So we all know that. So unwavering support is the cover of the hometown newspaper, the Las Vegas Review Journal. And everybody from Vinnie Vonsignor, who I saw today, Ed Graney, who I've been texting with, and Paul, 
who I'll interview coming up, all have opinions on this. And I respect everyone's opinion, and I respect yours. You know my opinion on this, too. I'm, I'm very disappointed. I think we've been really critical of every loss after every game. There are days where I'm screaming through this microphone, and I have to change it by the end of the day and clean up the equipment. I can only get so loud. I can only be so passionate. Uh, the team is losing now, and it's uphill sledding. The plan now is to either believe in the plan or not. The owner, the guy who writes the checks, it's his team, believes in the plan. Many people don't believe in the plan who are fans because you're paying hard dollars to go to these games and you want to win. So we all understand what's happening here. So as long as you're respectful, you have a good phone call, you don't like the plan, you want to tear it down, you want to improve the plan, you want to make it better, we really appreciate what you have to say. That's about it. That's Nothing's changed from yesterday to today to a couple of weeks ago other than you you, the listener to this show, who hopefully supports our sponsors, our partners here, supports us. We see the streaming numbers. I can only thank you for being passionate about it, even if you're pissed off. If you're rational, that's great. If you're irrational, I'm okay with that. I'm irrational at times. As long as you don't make it personal. That's all I've ever said. Don't make it personal. And I've told you the plan that I've known. I think I'm the first guy, actually, to tell you the bleeping plan. I really do. I, I hosted the state of the team. With the coach and the president of the team, I constantly talk to the owner. I have the GM on more than anybody, so I've given you the plan. So I'm not hiding behind the plan. I'm not coming up with my own plan. I'm just telling you what their plan is, and you either like it or not. And I know a lot of you don't like the plan because of all the recent losses and the high-profile losses that have popped up along the way. So as long as we all understand that, we're all good. You know, it, this is a really interesting time in American sports radio history. As I keep taking you behind the scenes. In the history of sports radio, which I've been doing this 26 years, longer than most. Longer than most. Most guys don't get by four years. Five years. You know that rule in the NFL? You think that Tom Brady plays till 45. Well, most guys play like three seasons. And then they blow out their knee and they never play again. They don't even make a practice squad. Most guys in my business, sports radio, come and go. Come and go. They're around for two or three years maybe and they go, the hell with it. I can't make money. I'm probably not as good as I thought I was. I got to go do something else. I've been doing this 26 years. I've had my highs and lows, but most of it's been bleeping great. Access to a football team, national audiences, all of that. So I've won. I've won. I haven't spiked the ball yet. I hope I'm not completely done, but I feel like I'm in victory lane more than I'm in the loser's bracket here. And this has been a tough couple of weeks here, and we're trying to find some optimism. I go into every pregame show before I host that postgame show, trying to set you guys up with Eric Allen for the victory. That's why we do ease keys. Eric Allen's three keys, I say, to the victory. Not to the game, to the victory. What do the Raiders need to do to win? So we come in with optimism here, and we're dealing with a lot of noise. Now, the one thing that I learned, as I said, this is American sports radio history. I'm a part of it, and I study it, and I look at it every day. Because of social media, the coach goes on and does a press conference, and the fans are allowed to log in. You don't have to. You're fortunate you can. You can go in there live, and the fans say stuff that some of it's repulsive, a lot of it's personal, but hey, you're the customers. You have the right to do that. That didn't exist. That didn't exist five, six, years, seven years ago. That didn't exist when Lane Kiffin and North Turner were the head coach of this team. Now it does. You can log on to Twitter. The coach is speaking live. You can go in there and comment. Same thing. A lot of stuff goes on Facebook. People go in there and they say things that they would never say in public. They would never say that in public. 
and they don't have real names and they, they hide behind other people, but that is a platform that we use in the business model of sports radio. So everything that's happening now, you have to remind yourself that the loudest, the loudest, the loudest group of people that are pissed off are the tiniest, tiniest, smallest group. But we forget that because we're addicted to our phones. We're addicted to sports platforms and social media. So when we are on our phone for nine minutes or 19 minutes or six hours a day, like some people are, you see all the negativity and you think that's common. You think that's the way that everybody deals with everything in life, and they actually don't. The majority of Americans don't have Twitter at all. The majority of Americans don't look at their Facebook page for more than a couple of times a week. And most of those people, those billions of people and hundreds of millions, don't even think about the Raiders. But if you live in those social media worlds, right, if you have a Raiders Facebook page or a Raider Twitter account and you're in all that, you think that that's everything that's happening now. And that's the bubble I'm living in now, that everybody believes in the worst. Everybody believes in the worst case scenario. So I repeat here, I don't, do, I don't use notes for my show, but I repeat that there are a lot of people that never gave Josh McDaniels a chance here. That's really disappointing to me. There are a lot of fans that were like just ridiculously juvenile. He, he was with the Patriots, the tuck rule, we hate the Patriots. There were really those people out there. They never gave him a chance. They never liked him from the beginning, and they never gave him a chance to like him and to see what he's trying to do. So that's a chunk of people. I don't know what the percentage of those are. And then there's a lot of people that like or want to li- they want to like Josh McDaniels and give him a chance, but the record and all these heartbreaking losses have alienated them from the coach and the Raiders. We're aware of that. So we have all that going on. As I talk about the ship that's out there in the middle of the storm, we're in the middle of the storm again today, and we're trying to figure out how to get out of the storm. And the only way that's going to happen is with winning games. Paul Gutierrez joins us from ESPN as he recently spoke to the owner, Mark Davis. They're carrying it all over ESPN's platforms. So, Paul, let's begin. You have a long-term relationship with Mark Davis. Uh, You get a chance to talk to him often. Let's begin with why you reached out to him for these quotes and what he said to you. Yeah, JT, thanks for having me. You know, it's just like you just mentioned. I mean, the Raiders are in choppy seas again. Um, there's a lot of rumors and questions regarding the job status of, of the coach, Josh McDaniels, even though he's in his first year. So, you know, if you have these questions, you want to go to the source as much as, at least as close to the source as possible, right? And, and with the Raiders, it's always going to be Mark Davis who's making those calls. And with the relationship I've had with him over the years, I've always been fair, and, and I've always believed that he's been fair and truthful with me. So I just reached out and wanted to get his take on what was going on, knowing full well that he doesn't, really care what the narrative is out there. Um, I remember when Dennis Allen was on the hot seat before we actually did fire him, he gave me the quote at the time was that uh, the only people firing Dennis Allen was the media, not me. So, you know, that's just kind of the relationship. That's the background. So I called him and I asked him about it. And, and his initial response was that, uh, you know, everybody today wants instant gratification, that uh, the record of two and seven is not what they, anybody wants in the organization. But then he pointed to the fact that they've lost six games where they have had uh, possession of the ball with a chance to win at the end of the game, too. And they've been six one-score games. And uh, I think kind of the money quote here that, that got a lot of people talking was when he said, hey, Rome wasn't built in a day. And where that got people upset was this was a playoff team last year. And now you go back and you look at the X's and the O's, there was a lot of things that broke just right for them to get to 10-7. and, seven. They, and A lot of people would say they had no business being in the playoffs in winning those games, but you look at it this year, well, they have a lot, no business losing a lot of these games either. So it's a lot of these weird things that just kind of even out. 
Paul Gutierrez joins us. Yeah, Paul, we talk a lot about the, the quality of the losses and how much they hurt because they're very close games. If they're losing 41-7 to in four of these games and we talk about the six one-score games, I wonder what the temperature is like. I, just my perspective this year, where I'm sitting from, I think the way that they're losing games is driving fans crazier and more opinionated, which is a good thing than I've ever remembered, at least we all would agree, louder than it's ever been in Vegas. But, you know, Mark has a plan. I was privy to that plan. And these guys were vetted, and they were vetted real heavy. And I wanted you to talk about this on the process to hire Dave Ziegler and Josh McDaniels and how much Mark Davis put into that process. Well, he did. He definitely did. I mean, it, and it wasn't an easy uh, decision to move on from that coaching staff that led such an inspired run. I mean, when you think of the real-world issues that this team dealt with last year to get to the fantasy world of the NFL playoffs, right? I mean, that was a hard decision to, to say goodbye to Rich Passaccia, who had – this team by its heartstrings, and then you replace them with the guys that come in that, that they have no relationship with, through no fault of their own, right? I mean, they've been on the other side of the country winning championships, so to speak. So, and, and in talking with Mark Davis at the time, I mean, he just basically wanted to take that next step. Well, going from 10-7 and 7 to 2-7 and 7 seems like it will be a pratfall backwards, but the way he sees it, they're still trying to build things. They're still trying to make it work, and and it, from the fans' perspective, yeah. I mean, you just look and say, hey, this was a playoff team. Now, all of a sudden, you're talking about Rome wasn't built in a day. I get that frustration, and I know that Josh McDaniel does, and I know that Mark Davis does as well. So I'm not here to really speak for anybody other than just kind of report and try to figure out exactly what is going on with this team. But if you think the fans are upset, uh, JT, after the game in that locker room, the tension in there was thick, and you could feel it. And uh, not saying, not making any comparisons here other than the last time I felt a locker room or a clubhouse with that much tension in there and, and animosity uh, was when I walked into a Dodger clubhouse after Milton Bradley and Jeff Kent got in a fight in Miami back in 2005. So there's, there's a lot of emotions that are flowing right now. I and mean, you saw it all in the face of Derek Carr as well. Paul Gutierrez. So let's stay with that. Where do you think the emotions coming from there? Is it a work ethic thing, a buy-in thing from what you've reported on what I've heard? Most of the practices from training camp on, you don't hear much, maybe other than the benching, of a couple of offensive linemen heading into the Tennessee game. The buy-in from Max Crosby and Devontae Adams and Derek Carr seems to have been there, but now there's some healthy scratches, and there's players that have been injured for a while, and a lot of people thought they should be back from now. So where do you think that animosity comes from? I think a lot of it just comes from the, the pure frustration of looking and, and not falling on a fumble, you know, that would have basically ended the game. Not, mm-hmm. not pointing a finger at one guy, because that game wasn't lost on that one play, but Fall on the ball, you know. <laughs> That's one thing there that I would imagine. Um, you know, in, in, in consecutive plays from Derek Carr, I'm not pointing him out, but he is the quarterback, and quarterbacks get too much of the credit and too much of the blame. But on consecutive plays, JT, it just showed me where this team is and where this offense is. I mean, when he throws in, throws late and short into quadruple coverage to Devontae Adams and the ball's not picked off, I'm like, that's a dangerous way to live. And then one snap later, he makes a play that's like, oh, my gosh, there it is. You know, he was lost one play, then the next. He's hitting Devontae in stride going across the middle, and Devontae's gone for the touchdown. It's like, okay, well, which guy is it? Which offense is this? And that is the frustration, I think, that is born of all this, is that they just can't wrap their fingers, their hands, around what this offense is supposed to be, what this team is supposed to look like. And, and you know, you've got all these pro bowlers. You have the best receiver in the game in Devontae Adams, and you're 2-7, and seven, and that, to me, is where it's all coming from, as well as looking to the forward, looking forward to the future, because – um, you know, you and I both know that, that the, the owner 
would probably be more invested in the new staff, the new regime, that he would in certain players on this roster anyway. You just kind of go forward from there, and you, you kind of do the math, and you see, okay, well, who's going to be back next year if they're not winning? And, and you just try to figure it out. Paul Gutierrez, as we wrap it up, I'm really uh, disappointed with the defensive scheme, lack thereof, or the players that can't pick up the scheme. I think that's going to be one of the big mo- top three moments of the year is what happened on the defense. Chandler Jones comes in, supposed to be a beast or play at a high level, at least double-digit sacks to be better than Yannick Ngakwe, and now we're seeing linebackers come and go because of injuries, and then I'm seeing soft coverage in the secondary by guys who I think are supposed to be in the NFL to cover, but they're playing a soft zone, and they're playing a soft zone given a nine-yard cushion. So I'm seeing a defense here. It looks like it's at wit's end. It almost looks like they're saying, we're going to try to make it as simple as possible with our NFL talent. And notice I didn't say NFL star talent. There's no Ray Lewis, Ed Reed. We're not talking about Reggie White when he was with us. So what do they do to try to win a few games here coming up here and play a tougher brand of defense going forward? Well, yeah, and that's, that's got to be one of, if not the biggest uh, disappointment, is to play the defense. And we all knew that was kind of the Achilles heel anyway, outside of the offensive mm-hmm. line coming in, but... But with a new coordinator, with Max Crosby getting his contract and, and, and looking like an all-pro the first few, first month of the season, and, and now teams are able to just key on him because nobody else is stepping up to make a play. Um, I do wonder if Nate Hobbs being out um, has a huge impact on that as well because at least you got a playmaker in the secondary that, that makes offenses have to at least recognize him and respect that. But you're right. I mean, Chandler Jones, and that was one of my, my concerns coming in, was, yeah, he had ten and a half sacks last year, but almost half of those came in the first week of the season. And he kind of, you know, there wasn't a lot of production there thereafter either. So it's just, it's just a strange situation where it's hard to put your finger on it. And, and, you know, it's definitely one of, if not the most disappointing teams in the NFL right now in terms of wins and losses uh, when you just look at the record. But you're right. I mean, you know, and Mark Davis is right. Six games when the offense had the ball at the end with the chance to win or tie and it doesn't go your way. Those were the games this team was winning last year. And now all of a sudden they can't figure out how to win this year. So after talking to the owner and knowing this team in the locker room as good as anyone, what should the expectations be realistic going into Denver looking for the sweep? That's the thing is, it, and you know, when it's a, a rivalry game, JT, you, you throw everything out the book, right, out, out of the window because it's a rivalry game. Uh, the guys are going to want to get up for that, you would think, unless McDaniels has lost the locker room. I don't believe he has because you still see guys that are trying. But mm-hmm. there's also a sense of what next, you know, and you try to figure out if you're in that locker room and you don't know what's next and, and you're trying to figure out what's going wrong with this team, that's that's a big uh, scarlet letter to, to carry around as well. So, yeah, I mean, coming into predictions with this team, you know, it, it's the same thing that I've said from the beginning, you know, with Josh McDaniels, and, and he is, came in with the reputation of being an X's and O's guy. Talked to Richard Seymour about him, and he talked mm-hmm. about he was a, an offensive mastermind. Um, and, and yet things aren't working. So what's the definition of insanity? When you keep doing the same thing over and over again and expect a different result. So they've got to mix something up and do something different. Thank you, Paul. I know it's been a busy week for you. I'll see you soon. Thank you for the time. Yeah, sounds good. Talk to you soon. All right, Paul Gutierrez from ESPN. After his comments from talking to owner Mark Davis, we'll get your comments going forward, 702-365-9200. I'm actually excited about this game. I hope you don't knock me for that. I'm excited about sweep in Denver if the Raiders can do that I think that'll be really good you think the Raiders have problems they do their record clearly but there are other teams out there now that are a mess 
and a lot of pet members of the media put the Raiders in that category. Stephen A. Smith, who is my friend, we go back a long time. Uh, he had strong comments against Mark Davis, really strong comments against uh, Derek Carr, the quarterback. And, you know, he's a debater. He's a guy who gets paid a lot of money to rise, rise up and be loud. And he made points that he thinks are very important. Everybody has the right to an opinion here. I just want everybody to know the plan and the plan that Mark Davis is standing behind, along with the coach and the GM, the scouts and the rest of the staff. And I think rational people can look at that plan and criticize it openly and have a normal conversation about it. Because as Paul said, you don't want to hear about six one-possession losses anymore. I know that. I know that. I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed. I'm not sitting here telling you how glorious these losses are because there's only one possession and they should win. I do my job and I tell you what happened and what was the play. As Paul said, falling on a fumble and Foster Moreau catching that game-winning touchdown, I could go back to a ball going through Darren Waller's hands in Tennessee. That would have changed the game. We can go back to the second half and what didn't happen in the first half against the Chargers and what happened on that final drive. We can go back to Cincinnati last year in the playoffs, first and goal at the nine. And no attacking the end zone. There's a lot of things to criticize here. You know, the quality of the roster, what the former regime did when it came to the first-round draft picks, all of that. And there's going to be some good radio coming up in the next month or so because if the Raiders don't win a game or two here in the next couple of weeks, that they should. Again, these are games when the schedule came out. I was much more worried about at Denver with Russell Wilson than I was Seattle with Geno Smith. As a matter of fact, I think everybody heard my voice and called in when the schedule came out. You all circled Seattle as a win. Seattle was going to win like one or two games. Now they're a playoff team as of tonight. Uh, Cooper Cup, I don't think, is going to play the rest of the year. Matthew Stafford's been hurt. The Rams are a mess at three and six. You know, Raiders got a puncher's chance going into that game because they're not playing the world champs the way they looked at last year. But instead of looking at games they could win, you just go one week at a time. And the gut punch is three weeks of getting punched in the gut at New Orleans, at Jacksonville, and especially against Indy with Jeff Saturday. All games that the Raiders were supposed to win, all games that the Raiders were supposed to win and be really strong at. And to be really strong at these games and having the ability to be strong and win these games, you have to execute. You have to execute these games. You have to come in hard, ready to go, and want to win right out of the gate and execute right out of the gate. Bobby, I want to go to Fish in Berkeley when you get him up. Let's go to Fish in Berkeley in the Bay Area to start off the day today on Raider Nation Radio. Go ahead, Fish. JT, always a pleasure. I, I just want to point out a couple of things about the men, the men that have led us to the playoffs. Let me write off the names we're familiar with. Madden, Flores, Gruden, Jack Del Rio, Basaccia. There's an intangible situation there, mm-hmm. okay? You can't just hit people over the head with X's and O's. You have to lead and inspire the Jimmys and the Joes, okay? This is turning into, if you count the four preseason games and the 17, this has turned into a 21-game preseason for 2023. And I hope uh, whoever our coach is, okay, inspire and lead the Jimmy and Joe's. It ain't all about X's and O's. Go Raiders. Yeah, well, again, I don't want to talk about a preseason for next year. These are NFL games where everybody's got to go out there and compete and do their job and win. Win for the fan base, win for the owner, win for the alumni. 
pretty cool story today. So when we were done with Raiders Roundtable, I went to the lobby as I was leaving, and I looked up and saw George Bueller, Art Toms, Mike Madden, John Madden's son, Mike. And I had a nice conversation with him for about 10 minutes. They're all there for a special that they're doing with the Raiders. The Raiders do an unbelievable job in-house with the Raiders' life. That's coming. It's going to be the most detailed, the most detailed documentary series, in, I think, sports history. The way it's funded. You know, E60 does great jobs. Netflix, all of them have. Wait to hear and see what the Raiders are doing with that. And as they're talking about the Immaculate Reception, the anniversary, which is the Immaculate Reception, and, and when they're out there, and I, I looked in the lobby, and I was standing there with greatness. Raymond Chester. We talked for about five or ten minutes, and they all flew in because this owner is so generous, brings them in for filming so they could talk behind the scenes and preview some pretty cool stuff that's happening here. And really nice to see Mike Madden. He had the logo, the John Madden logo on his baseball cap, and we spoke for a few minutes on how cool it is that his dad now will be connected with Thanksgiving for the rest of his life, his legacy and his son's, as they have a lot, a lot of cool things happening in a week, Thanksgiving, you know, a week from Thursday there. So it's just nice to see that and to see those gentlemen who have won and won championships or connected to championships all in a good mood, not happy with what the team's doing now, but knowing it's a long run, it's a legacy, once a Raider, always a Raider. And this team is struggling now. Maybe these alumni can help being around some of the young kids, younger players here, and give their wisdom along the way. Because everybody's looking for answers, and we don't have all the answers here. I don't think the fans do, but we want to hear from you, the fans, about what you think is the priority of the team going from game to game. I'd like to get some Denver calls this week because I know how much you dislike Denver and should dislike Denver and want to get the sweep. I'm going to be talking about that the rest of the week. But what do you think would be the key for the Raiders to have a bounce-back win and the changes that you would make? If you want to make changes... Uh, step out, grab your phone, and get in here, and, and, and let me know what you think needs to be fixed. I got a pretty good idea, but I don't know. I'm not a mind reader unless you call in, 702-365-9200. So many chances to win. There was just a 40,000 free slot play at PT's for True Rewards members. PT's Taverns, they fuel the monologue all over town, 64-plus taverns. And a great place to go watch the Golden Knights, college football. And if you don't have tickets to a Raider game, maybe you can go catch a half there and go hang out with some Raider Nation over at PT's, proud partner of our show. All right, I'm open till the top of the hour. Howard Balzer is also supposed to check in, the Hall of Fame voter. But Jason Horowitz at the top of the hour, looking forward to that, the voice of the Raiders. So we're pretty good today. We're pretty good with content, and you're a part of our content. Your reaction to what's happening on the flagship station at JT the Brick on Twitter and Facebook. And let's pound the phones today, get you in the rotation, and we'll hear what you have to say on the other side. Heineke pops, steps back, flushed out of the pocket, running out of the time. It now goes down the 39-yard line, and a flag was thrown as he was hit when he went down by one of the Eagles. That is going to be a personal foul on Philadelphia. Unbelievable unforced error by the Eagles. How about that? Commanders radio. The Commanders beat the Eagles last night, so the Eagles were 8-0. 
Oh, they lost time of possession, 40-plus minutes for the Commanders, 19 minutes-plus for the Eagles. So you got the blueprint. That's a blueprint on how to win any NFL game. I don't care who you're playing. It's time of possession, but they were more physical. i got to give credit. That coaching staff, Jack Del Rio, the defensive coordinator, Ron Rivera, the head coach, they were ready to play. And the 72 Dolphins remain the only undefeated team. The 72 Dolphins, and I love that tradition when the old-timers like Zonka he had a whiskey last night, and he tweeted out the fact, and he thanked the commanders there. That's a fun tradition. I'm all for guys in their 70s and 80s having a drink and celebrating keeping their record. I think that's cool. And we saw the commanders get to 5-5. Five and five. Remember, Taylor Heineke came to Vegas and beat the Raiders. Taylor Heineke just beat the undefeated Philadelphia Eagles. You don't have to be a star quarterback, a multiple Pro Bowl, to win in this league. Anybody can win if they play a good game. Heineke was very smart last night for the commanders, especially taking that hit. And what was cool about that play is a lot of quarterbacks would have thrown that ball out of bounds or a lot of quarterbacks would have just ran around and just took a knee. He took a knee at the last possible second to get the Eagles to hit him accidentally and end the game. It was a very sharp move by Heineke, and he's out playing Carson Wentz, who's injured, and maybe they should leave him alone and let him be the quarterback the rest of the way. Hey, we're brought to you by our great friends, and I mean they're really good over at Resorts World, where there are a lot, Eight Cigar Lounge is where a lot of people go to hang out, have the best cigar in town, Carver Steak, uh, the Gatsby's Lounge, Doghouse Saloon is where we do Monday Night Football, and Red Tail just had a really successful viewing party for UFC. So if you haven't been to Resorts World yet, remember the parking's free. I know you get confused in this town. Where do I park? How much is it going to cost? Free at the most expensive resort. In the history of Las Vegas, I think the nicest new one. So go ahead out there and have a good time. Let's keep it going here. Mike in Vegas. Thanks for waiting, Mike. You're up next. Thanks for calling the flagship. Thanks for having me, JT. I love your passion. You're probably the best thing about the Raiders. Um, I wanted to talk about the quarterback situation. But first, real quick, I do agree with you on the defense. It's just atrocious. I'm still mad about them not spying on uh, Kyler Murray in that fourth quarter and letting them run in and tie it. But right now we're not going to make the playoffs, JT, and I don't want to watch uh, Derek Carr play quarterback anymore. I don't want to see him go four and four, and then we find out we, have, we haven't learned anything. Let, it's time, JT. He, he's 10 years in the league, and he's nervous back there like a, like a rookie. He, he, he can't run. He can't move. I want a quarterback that can – Move around the pocket and actually and rush some yards, JT. Mm-hmm. Here's my plan. If I'm the GM, I cut Stidham. I don't want Stidham on the team. Get him out of here. He's no good. Belichick didn't even want him. I put Carr on the bench, and I go to Cleveland and go to their practice squad and get Desmond Mon from Texas A&M. He came in here and played us in the uh, preseason. He was 10 out of 14 against us, played great. I want to give him a chance. At least we – maybe he's not the quarterback, JT, but I really like him, and I thought he played really well, and I, I think yeah. he deserves a chance. I already know yeah. what Carr can't do. Yeah, that's not going to happen here, so I appreciate your call. I appreciate your passion. Carr's going to – he's the franchise quarterback. He's the franchise quarterback. He's been to Pro Bowls. We know what Derek can do, and Derek has time, and he can make good decisions. Look, I agree with you. I'm really, really disappointed that Derek's not running. And I've backed that up on the radio every week. And my other responsibilities on the podcast 
in the pregame show. I don't know why he's not running. I don't know how you cannot have an attempted run in a football game at quarterback where Devontae Adams is being double teamed on every play and some people have their back to Derek Carr. He, he's refusing to run now as an aggressive quarterback trying to pick up a first down. Matt Ryan did and had one of the biggest plays out there to make it worse. So I don't know why Derek isn't running. I think what Derek's trying to do is win the play by moving around in the pocket and staying available for guys to get open downfield. But if you know me, and again, if you've been listening to me for a long time and you know what's happening here, I, I think there's things you have to do. You can't, this is not non-negotiable. There's some things you have to do. If you're a quarterback in this league, you do not have to run for 146 yards like Justin Fields. You don't have to do that. You don't have to run for 80 yards like Josh Allen. And you don't have to run for 30 on a run like Matt Ryan. But you got to run for a first down. you got to run for two. You have to run on third and six if you're throwing it into traffic and you're going to throw an incompletion or maybe have to throw it out of bounds to avoid a sack. You have to run. And the, I, I always say this because people now are making a living clipping what I say and put them on websites and not finishing what I'm saying about to say at the end. I think he can do it. If I didn't think he could do it, like Tom Brady can't run, but he runs from time to time, and you go, wow, I didn't know Brady can do that. I know that Derek can do it because I've seen it from the sidelines. At ground level, I've seen him run and run for 10, 11, 12 yards and extend plays. He doesn't do that anymore. I don't know why he doesn't do that anymore. I think he's pretty good at it, and I think it could be the difference in a one-score game, don't you? Six one-score games where the quarterback pretty much is never running. If you add in that element of surprise, if you add in that weapon, it's another weapon to his game, which has been at a Pro Bowl level in the past. So he has the ability to do that. I have no idea why he's not doing it. No idea. And maybe we'll find out about an injury later on in the season. We've heard about his back. You know, we know he doesn't have knee problems right now. He seems to be healthy there, but when he gets near the line of scrimmage, he doesn't take off. And he doesn't take off, and I think he could take off and get a whole bunch of yards, a whole bunch of yards, and really be productive there. And that's, you know, that's, that's my knock on Derek this year. And the knock on Derek is that the play clock winds down way too much where they're running plays so late that a high school team could figure out that the ball's got to be snapped in a second to a second and a half. You know, that, that's it. And the fact that he's not running. Other than that, he throws a great ball. He tries to extend the play. He's trying to do a lot of things that you need to do to win. And you saw how emotional he was. We played a minute of that in the Writers' Roundtable podcast that's coming up at the top of the hour. And I thought it was great that Derek was emotional. I'm not knocking him for being emotional. I like guys who are emotional. Uh, Joe's in San Antonio. What's happening, Joe? Thanks for calling. Thanks for taking my call, JT. Uh, I wanted to jump on yesterday because there was something that popped up to me when I was listening to the postgame show. Mm-hmm. A caller had mentioned that he, he felt that there were some people that had not bought in. You meant, you asked him which ones because mm-hmm. you felt everybody was bought in. And then, uh, obviously, we know what's happened since. Derek Hart mm-hmm. alluded to people not buying in. Devontae flat out called people not, mm-hmm. uh, not bought in. This team has people that are bought in but not executing. Mm-hmm. Guys that are, that are not bought in that are going to have to leave. And guys that are either bought in or not bought, or either bought in or not bought in that mm-hmm. don't have the talent to be on this team. And it's frustrating because now the, now the locker room's cannibalized. Now they're pointing fingers. And now Josh McDaniels is going to have to rebuild it. He says they're building. They're not rebuilding. It's a rebuild. However, whichever way you want to call it, it's a rebuild. 
because there's guys that are not buying into your system, and you have to bring the guys that. Well, that you, you know, and, and to be fair on those assessments, that's just recent. I mean, it's not like look, there's there's nine games in. We haven't heard any indignation other than the Jacksonville game. The Jacksonville was the first time, and that was a collapse in that game that we started here. You didn't when the Raiders lost to Arizona or at Tennessee. You didn't hear anybody in the locker room talking about a buy-in. Yeah, you know, not a buy-in. You didn't even hear it in New Orleans to the level that you heard it here in the last week or two. So in the last week or two, you can connect the dots. I've I've evolved a little bit on the topic, knowing that the coach and the quarterback and Max Crosby, who I communicate with, thinks that everybody's kind of bought in. And now, after these devastating, gut-punching losses, Derek and Devontae, who are best friends, seem to be lightly pointing fingers and now we have a new topic to talk about. So I'll be the first to tell you it's not the way it looks two weeks ago, and there's been That's a drastic change after these two losses. That's fair to say, JT, but it hasn't looked good all year. I know we, we, we want to say, hey, we, we, we've lost six games mm-hmm. where it's only been a one-score game, but it hasn't looked good all year. The Arizona game was the only game where we looked good for two quarters. Yeah, but, but you're, at, you're, you're talking about a different topic. We know that they're 2-7. and seven. It hasn't looked good. But you're talking about buy-in and, and locker room dysfunction, which has never been a part of this season at all until Derek and Devontae recently. And Devontae against Derek lightly and Derek now almost breaking down. We got new content now. No one was reporting on that. I, I read every one of Paul Gutierrez and Ed Graney's articles and everybody else who writes who I think are credible, and there was no locker room dysfunction. So this is something new that they're giving us a window in that really is an issue we're keeping an eye on. I'll agree that it's evolved to that, mm-hmm. but it's, it's happened since the team has not looked good, and there's an article by Vic Taper who mentioned mm-hmm. he, players wanted to buy in, they, things weren't looking good, and now we, we, we've evolved to this where flat-out people are calling each other out. Yeah, I'm not, so, I'm not denying that. So what, do you, what, what would you like to do? You're calling into the radio show saying this, and I'm not, I'm not arguing with you. I'm not saying that right, there so, isn't a little bit of dysfunction. If you're, if you're addressing me saying I should have had this four weeks ago, no, 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 I'll defend myself. I'm not, I'm not saying that you should have had it. I'm just saying mm-hmm. where it's evolved to. Now, as mm-hmm. far as what's the solution, well, we've we got to write it out with Josh McDaniels because we can't fire him after one year, we, for better or worse. We've mm-hmm. hitched our wagon to that to, to, to Josh McDaniel, so we got to let him now implement his system. But now we got to reevaluate who's going to be on this team because if people didn't buy in or they can't execute what he's trying to do, then you got to rebuild it. And what's frustrating about it is this team have talent. You shouldn't have to rebuild it like the way Chicago is rebuilding their. Yeah, team. The, the only thing I'll tell you, what, one of the things I'll tell you, my friend, with all due respect, is this is a great phone call. We needed this. Is that they don't have the talent that you think they have, and Dave Ziegler doesn't think they have the talent that you think they have. They don't. The four games that they won at the end of the year, bravo, bravo for Rich Basaccia, who I interviewed every week. I think the world to him. Bravo for the games that they won. If they didn't win one of those four games, they weren't a playoff team. They rewarded us with the playoff run, and then with some of these bust, flat-out bust, who are first-round picks, those weren't Dave Ziegler and Josh McDaniels' players. And now they got in and they evaluated them. They have a different grading system than the Raiders of the past in that position. And they will elevate this talent because that's what they're promising Mark Davis, man. That's the one thing about this. I'm a big Dave Ziegler guy. They're saying, we're gonna get us in the building. Let us do our grading system. Let us run the team the way we want to. And we'll get you better players than all those players that flamed out as first-round picks. So I'm not saying they're not going to get a Damon Arnett. I hope they don't. A Henry Ruggs situation, he was developing into not a good player, a great player. We know what happened there. But there's a lot of players on this team that Dave Ziegler, when he took this job, believe me, wasn't going to be keeping for two to three years. I can promise you that.
But I, but I, but I assure you that Waller, Renfro, Derek Carr were probably part of that foundation. Yeah, absolutely. Outside looking in, and mm-hmm. now it doesn't look like they are. And the only way you can rebuild the team is through draft picks and caps. So what? So the writing's on the wall. Some of these guys are gone, and these guys were talented folks. I understand yeah. the Cleve Farrell, the Damon Arnett, but the Darren Wallers, the Hunter Renfro's, the Derek Carrs were well, the guys. Hunter that Renfro, Hunter, appreciate the call. Hunter's hurt, and Darren's hurt. Now, are they hurt at the ability that they could play through the pain and continue to play more? That's just an opinion. I don't know the answer to that. I'm not a trainer. I'm not a doctor. They deactivated them. They put them on IR. And if you want to speculate who Derek's talking about, you can speculate whoever you want and, and go down that road. That's why we talk to everybody here. But, yeah, things have changed. In hindsight, do I think Dave Ziegler should have signed Chandler Jones? No. But the only way to find out if Chandler Jones had anything was to bring him in, pass his physical, see him run, and do things that he was able to do. He didn't play at all in the preseason, was never tested. Never tested to see if he could play, and then he got off to a slow start. I think he's playing better against the run, but he's not living up to that contract, and he'll be the first to tell you that. Or, not tell you that, know that he's not the Chandler Jones of the past. There are going to be hard decisions when it comes to salary, buying out players, deactivating them, and it's all happening probably right around now. You know, I just don't got enough guys that are that are fully bought into that right now. And I, th- I don't think it's a, a buy-in. I don't think people are like, you know, F what he's talking about or, you know, I'm going against the grain. It's just about a matter of executing when it's time. It means a complete game. Every every minute of the game, giving it all you got, and it's, it's doing your job and, and, and making making the plays when, when you call it on and when you get the opportunities. And we just don't do that at a high enough level right now. That's Devontae Adams. That's a very important soundbite. So Devontae is saying that it's not the fact that they're not buying into the coach. That's not it. He's gone out of his way a few times and said that. He ties it into execution, that at points in the game, there's not a buy-in where they make that play. Well, I don't know about that. I don't play at the level of Devontae. But what does he mean by that? Does that mean that players aren't practicing hard during the week so they're not executing perfectly? Are they practicing well, but when the game gets to the crunch time, they're not focused the way they should be and doing their job? It's all open to scrutiny, and that's what we've been talking about here for about a month or two. Once the schedule got away, you know, I don't read a lot of tweets and Facebook posts, but I got this one. I thought it was important from Thomas. He said, you know, JT, I had this thought earlier in the season. Teams Teams deal with super hangovers all the time. I wonder if our core guys could be having emotional hangover from what they went through last year. All of that, plus the regime change, then the tough losses. We are fully getting these guys, we have to fully get these guys who are fully compensated professionals to play better. But they're also human. I think they are mentally fatigued. we got to find some mental toughness across the board to finish out the season. And I don't mean that I'm attacking anyone. I think it's understandable. Yeah, that's what someone I know, and I respect that opinion there. I, I don't think the hangover's there. You could say the hangover's there for the Rams because they won the Super Bowl. The Raiders didn't even win a playoff game. But the Raiders went through a lot. Man, they went through a lot. They went through so much last year, so much turmoil, uh, turmoil, and it took a lot out of them. And then they get a new regime that comes in, and it's much more buttoned up. That's not a knock on the former regimes. This is different. This is Belichick 
Brady, the Patriots coming in here. They hold you accountable to a level of grading and practice that a lot of these players are obviously not used to. Raider Rod in San Jose. You're up next on the Raider flagship. Go ahead. Hey, JT. How you doing, brother? Doing good. good thanks. Thanks for taking my call, man. Hey, look, man. Um, thanks for all you do, man. Keep, you know, leading, leading Raider Nation through these tough times because, man, you keep us up. I really appreciate all you do. Thank and you. Um, that was a great segment with Paul Gutierrez because, for me, it gave me some insight into what's going on with, in Mark Davis's head. And what's happening within the organization. So I think when we play Denver Sunday, I know uh, we're going to win that game. Cause we, because it's a rivalry game, it's a division game, and we're going to be fired up for that game. We gonna, I think we're going to be more fired up coming into Denver on the road than we were last Sunday. Because last Sunday we came out flat for some reason. So I'm looking forward to some emotion. Um, based on the the interviews with Derek Carr and and other players, you know it was it was emotional, and I think the Raiders are going to re- really respond to that when we go to Denver. But I wanted to ask you, JT, when you do get the chance to talk to the coach, mm-hmm. uh, especially about Derek Carr running or not running, Derek does what he's told, and and I don't know if the coach wants him to run or not. I thought I heard Coach McDaniel say that he, he, he wants him to, to not do that. But that would be a question. I, I, can, can Derek get a couple of first downs per game? You know, yeah. can, would he be interested in that? But also, like, the body language of the team from, as a fan, the body language is off. And mm-hmm. so how are we addressing that part of it? And that's yes. what I'm hoping when we come out Sunday – and Denver on the road, mm-hmm. we kick their ass five, six times in a row that we come out fired up. Yeah, I agree with you. Thanks for the call. A couple things on yeah. body language. Coach is coaching the game. He fires them up, tells them what they do. They all come out there. It's the job of the players to have body language. I've been talking about this my whole life. I think I'm an expert on this topic because I talk about it often. It's the job of the players to have positive, upbeat body language during a game. And it would be nice if the coaches did it too, but they're coaching. They got their head down in the play call. They're, they're meeting with their individual groups there. They're doing their job. But I don't know why a player can't get off the bench and go stand on the sidelines unless they're fatigued. If they're very fatigued, then they need to sit down. But I'd like to see more players going up and down the sideline inspiring others. I'd like to see less players sitting by themselves on the bench now, that's just a fan perspective. Players can listen to this and go, what is he talking about? He doesn't know what we're doing. We've got to meet with our coaches. Well, it's a long game, and there's times where I watch a lot of football. I get paid to watch a ton of football, and I see a lot of great players. Not everyone's going to be Ray Lewis and Lawrence Taylor, who I think is the greatest player of all time on defense. When that guy got off the bench, when he got off the bench and went to the sideline, you got away from him because he was coming, coming at you. And I I wish this team had more guys like that who played with that type of energy all the time, even when they weren't out on the field. Maybe that changes going into Denver, a rivalry game.